Please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Today is part 6 in our series from the Old Testament book of Jonah, entitled Jonah, God's Unrelenting Pursuit of You. He's pursuing you. He's relentless. And his pursuit of you and his pursuit of me. It's all grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Not because I pursued God, but because God has pursued me. It's the last message in in the series. In chapter one, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and preach. Jonah says no. He runs from God, boards a ship heading 2,500 miles away from the call of God. He wanted to get as far away as he possibly could from the call of God. God sends a storm. Jonah is thrown overboard. God prepared a great fish to save Jonah from drowning. The grace of God. For three days, Jonah is inside the belly of this fish. He prays for a second chance. God is gracious and provides Jonah a second chance. Jonah is grateful. God speaks to Jonah a second time, calling him to go to Nineveh and preach um, to Nineveh the message that he tells Jonah. This time Jonah says, yes, and goes. All of Nineveh believes God. Believes in God. Miraculous. Nineveh repents and God relents from destroying them. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. If the book of Jonah had ended with verse 10 of chapter 3, history would have portrayed Jonah as the greatest of the prophets. Think about it. He gave a five-word sermon in Hebrew, eight in our English translation of the Bible, and over 120,000 people repent and turn to God. Incredible. Amazing. Unfortunately for Jonah, the book continued. There are so many lessons we can learn from Jonah's story. One of those lessons is the Lord doesn't look at the outward things. He looks at the heart. The heart of man. The Old Testament book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 says... For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, at the heart. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he writes in his first letter in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Chapter 4 reveals the thoughts and intents of Jonah's heart and exposes Jonah's sin. 
In chapter one, Jonah is like the prodigal son, insisting on doing his own thing and going his own way. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. How many have a little bit of Jonah in us? We insist on on doing our own thing, going our own way. Some of us have a whole lot more of Jonah in us. Here in chapter 4, Jonah Jonah is like the, the prodigal elder brother. Critical, selfish, angry, and unhappy with what was going on. Like Jonah, we all have a little elder brother in us, some a lot more. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we we give this time to you. It's yours, Lord. This whole service is yours from start to finish. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak, God, um, through me today. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would hear your voice. I pray that you would be glorified, that your perfect will would be accomplished in all of our lives this day through the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Follow along, please, as I read verses 1 through 4. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, you would think that the prophet would have been happy that the people repented and that God extended his grace and mercy to them. But this was not the case for the prophet. This was not the case for Jonah. We read, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It just didn't displease him. It displeased him much, and he became angry. Jonah's anger towards God reminds me of the anger of the elder son in the familiar parable of the prodigal son. There was a father who had two sons. The younger son asked for his share of the inheritance. He received it. He left his father's house and he blew it through. He blew through his inheritance on on fast free living. He hit rock bottom, broke and disgusted with his choices, with his sin. He returns to his father's house. We read of this account in the gospel of Luke chapter 15, verses 18 through 24. Keep your finger there in Jonah and turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Follow along as I read verses 18 through 24. Jesus said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son, the prodigal son, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They had a celebration. There was so much joy. There was so much happiness. The father sees his prodigal son. Compassion fills his heart. He runs to him, embraces him, and kissed him. The father puts the best robe on him and the family ring on his finger. A beautiful picture of grace and mercy. A beautiful picture of being restored to his place in the family. You see, the best robe in the house would have been the father's own robe, the unmistakable sign of restored standing in the family. The father's saying, I'm not going to wait until you paid off your debt. I'm not going to wait until you have earned your way back into the family. I love you, son, unconditionally and graciously, and I I gladly take you back. I will cover your nakedness. I will cover your poverty. I will cover your rags with the robes of my office, with the robes of my honor. This is a beautiful picture of how God receives the repentant sinner, you and me. So thankful for God's grace, his mercies that are new every morning. The God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth. He runs to meet us. Church, God runs to meet us. To meet us. He throws his arms around us and covers us with his kisses. The best robe is Christ. Church, the best robe is Christ. God has given Christ to us to be our righteousness. He's our robe of righteousness. Speaking prophetically of Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah, he pens in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Wow. The best robe. Is Christ. The father commands that the servants prepare a feast of celebration. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, I say to you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. The repentance of the prodigal son was cause for celebration, not only in heaven, but on earth. And celebrate they did, all but one. The story closes with the elder son angry with his father. 
And, and reading the story, you will notice that Jesus doesn't call it the parable of the prodigal son. We like to call this parable the parable of the prodigal son. But Jesus begins the story in Luke 15, verse 11, saying, a certain man had two sons. Most readings of the parable have concentrated on the runaway younger brother and his return. But the story is as much about the elder brother as it is about the younger brother and the father too. Follow along as I read Luke 15 verses 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, pleaded with the elder son, And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now you would have thought the older brother would have been happy that his father extended grace and mercy to his younger brother and joined in the celebration. But like Jonah, he's angry that his father forgave him. And on self-forgiving him, he throws him this big, extravagant, expensive celebration. The older brother displays a self-righteous and envious heart attitude. He's steaming. He is especially upset about the cost of all that's happening. He says, you've never given me even a goat, a little goat, a little billy goat for a party. How dare you give him the fatted calf? That was a big deal, a big deal. The older brother knew that by bringing the younger brother back into the family, his father has made him an heir again with a claim to one third of the family worth which is now a lot less because of the younger brother's carefree living. He's adding things up, cha-ching. I can just hear this elder son saying to the father, I've worked myself to death and earned what I've got, but my younger brother has done nothing to earn anything, and yet you lavish him with wealth. Where's the justice in that? I've never disobeyed you, so I have rights. I deserve to be consulted about this. I should be part of the decision-making process. You have no right to make these decisions by yourself, Dad. The elder brother is hot. And his anger leads him to insult the father even further. He doesn't address him as his esteemed father, but disrespectfully by low. Which is the equivalent to look you... We see this in Luke 15, 29. Lo, he's basically saying to his father, look you, and he's probably using the finger. He's probably putting the finger. And has that ever happened to you? Look you. you. You get the finger. You know the finger. 
No, not that finger, this finger. In that culture where respect to elders was important, such behavior is outrageous. There's something very important here that we don't want to miss, church. As long as serving his father fit into his goals for his life, hear this this morning. As long as, his, his serve, as, long as serving his father fit into his goals for his life, he was fine with his father. But as soon as he had to choose between his father's love for his younger son and his self-righteous, self-serving love for himself, he turned on his father in anger. As long as serving God fit into Jonah's goals for Israel, he was fine with God. But as soon as he had to choose between God and the God lowercase, he actually worshipped his patriotism for Israel, he turned on God in anger. Now please understand, nothing wrong with patriotism for country until it becomes an idol and keeps you from doing what God calls you to do. The Hebrew word for angry in our text means to burn with fire. The Hebrew word for displeased in our text, in the context of our our text, means evil. Jonah looked back on the past 24 hours of his life. He sees the Ninevites repent and God withholding his judgment. And as far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh's repentance and God sparing them was, was evil in Jonah's sight. It was just plain wrong in Jonah's sight. And so he burned. He was on fire, burning with anger toward God. And Jonah said to God in verse 3 of Jonah 4, For it is better for me to die than to live. He was hot. He couldn't bear seeing these people spared. He'd rather die. The guy was messed up. The outcome was not what Jonah was hoping for. He was hoping for for a Sodom and Gomorrah judgment. (laughs) Wipe them all out. Every single one of them. That's what he was hoping for. Nothing less. Jonah's message was from God. But his attitude of his heart certainly was not. What pleased God displeased Jonah. We all have a little bit of Jonah, don't we? Here's a good place for a question Do you serve God as a means to an end? When God doesn't fulfill your dreams or your prayers go unanswered or maybe something doesn't play out um, like you think it should, there's no justice. Do you struggle with disappointment? Do you find yourself burning with anger toward God? And like Jonah say, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's hatred for, for the Ninevites went deep. I mean, they were barbaric. They were wicked. They were evil. They brutally murdered many of the Israelites. I'm sure many of Jonah's family members 
were tortured and brutally killed. Maybe Jonah in his own heart felt justified. They're wicked, they're evil. They don't deserve the grace of God. They don't deserve the mercy of God. They deserve his wrath. They deserve to be wiped out. Do you have hatred in your heart? Do you have hatred in your heart? 1 John 3.15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Ooh. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him? Boy, that's a tough one. God puts hatred parallel with murder. Hatred is a poison that destroys us from within. Producing bitterness that eats away at our hearts and minds. What Jonah and the older brother failed to grasp and what we also failed to grasp is that the morally good people and the wicked pagans the grace of God is as much theirs as it is ours. Had Jonah grasped this fully, it would have purged him of the self-righteousness that raised his ugly head after Nineveh was spared. How can we, church, listen, how can we feel superior to anyone else if our standing before God is only by the riches of God's grace at Christ's expense? It's easy to feel superior when we have a self-righteous identity instead of a grace identity. And when we go through life with a self-righteous identity, we are in danger of hatred being in our hearts and turning into bitterness. We'll become prejudiced, judgmental, critical, negative, slanderers, gossipers. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. The self-righteous sees an adulteress. Jesus sees a broken and troubled person. The self-righteous sees the sin. Jesus sees the sinner, the person made in his image. The self-righteous sees only the law of God. Jesus sees an opportunity for the grace of God. The self-righteous condemns. Jesus forgives and sets free. The self-righteous condemns. 
are known by what they're against. Jesus is known by what he is for. For God so loved the world. The self-righteous is all about fault-finding. Jesus is about soul-finding. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The self-righteous is negative of others, critical of others. Jesus is caring and compassionate. We all have a little bit of Jonah. We all have a little bit of the elder son. In his second prayer, Jonah's second prayer was much different in content and intent than his first prayer was. He prayed his best, in fact, he prayed his best prayer in the worst place, the fish's belly. (laughs) And he prayed his, his worst prayer in the best place, at Nineveh, where God was working in transforming a people. He was in the center of God's will. The the center of God's will is the best place to be. It's not always the easiest, but it is the best place to be. And it's in this place where Jonah prayed his worst prayer. That's what hatred, that's what bitterness does. It affects the way we pray. keeps us from being gracious, merciful, loving, forgiving, restoring people. His first prayer came from a broken heart, the belly of a great fish. But his second prayer came from an angry heart in the very center of God's will. In his first prayer, he asked God to save him. But in his second prayer, he asked God to take his life. Jonah would rather die than not have his own way. How many babies do we have like that here? (laughs) You'd rather die than not have your way. This prayer lets us in on the secret of why Jonah tried to run away in the first place. Jonah wasn't fearful that he would be ineffective in preaching. He was fearful that his preaching would be effective. He knows the power of God's word. Look at verse 2. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God. You are a gracious and merciful God. I love this part of his prayer. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Jonah is a hypocrite of the worst kind. After praising God for showing mercy to him in chapter 2, remember? And, and that great fish. 
I mean, he's praising God for showing mercy to him in chapter two. And now here in chapter four, he's all upset with God for showing mercy to Nineveh. That makes you scratch your head. So after praising God for showing mercy to someone who did not deserve it himself, Jonah, Jonah is now upset that God is going to show mercy to people who he believes do not deserve the mercy of God. The Ninevites, these evil, wicked, barbaric people. Church, what if God treated Jonah the way Jonah wanted God to treat the people of Nineveh? What if God treated us the same way we want God to treat people that we believe don't deserve his grace and mercy? Who's coming to your mind right now? Who in your mind doesn't deserve the grace and mercy of God? Who was that name or names that just bang popped into your head? The Holy Spirit didn't inspire Jonah to write this book for the sole purpose that we read it and walk away saying, that Jonah, he's a hypocrite. What kind of prophet is this? How can he praise the mercy of God in chapter two when in chapter four we see him complaining about God being merciful to the Ninevites? This story is in the Bible because if we look deeply inside, if we look deeply inside ourselves, we find the same sinful, hypocritical, self-centered attitudes that Jonah demonstrated in our own hearts. God puts the story of Jonah in the Bible so we can confront hatred in our hearts. So we can confront bitterness in our hearts. So we can confront idolatry in our hearts. The sinful attitudes and issues in our own hearts. He puts this book in the Old Testament because God is relentlessly pursuing you and pursuing me. He loves us too much not to put a book like Jonah in the Bible to confront our own hatred, bitterness, and idolatry. We all have a little Jonah in us, some a lot more. Not only do we learn about our own hearts through the reflection of Jonah, but we also learn about the heart of God. Jonah's theology is spot on. He knows the character of God. Verse two, he's gracious. Verse two, he's merciful. Verse two, he's slow to anger. Verse 2, he's loving. Verse 2, he's forgiving. Verses 3 and 4, he's patient. Jonah knows this about God. And that is exactly why he didn't want to go to Nineveh to begin with. Jonah certainly had good theology, but it stayed in his head and never got to his heart. What heart do you have? Do you have guards? Do you have God's heart or do you have Jonah's? In Jonah chapter four, verse four, the Lord asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? God's patient and tender response was asked um, to Jonah. So Jonah would examine his heart to 
really discover why he, he was really, really, what made him angry. God wanted him to, to, to examine his heart, to discover why he was so, so angry. God likes to ask questions because they reveal our heart. Where are you, Adam? Who told you that you're naked? God loves to ask questions. Where is your brother Abel? What have you done? Peter, who do you say that I am? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Lord's question was intended to encourage Jonah to examine himself, but Jonah chose instead to examine the city of Nineveh. God is being patient with Jonah. If there's something that I, a theme I keep picking, oh, there's so many themes in this book. God is so patient and long-suffering. He's given Jonah the opportunity to examine, to judge himself. The apostle Paul, right into the believers in Corinth, he he writes in, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, but let a man examine himself. For if he would judge, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. But let a man examine himself. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. God in his goodness, God in his patience, God in his grace, God in his goodness, God in his mercy, he he gives Jonah this opportunity. Jonah refuses to examine himself. For the second time in the story, Jonah abandoned his place of ministry. Jonah chose not to answer the Lord's question. Wow. He left the city. In stubborn silence, he left the city. He walks away from the Lord. And he sat down in a place east of the city. We we see this in our text where he could pout and, and stew in anger. He sits there just hoping that God would change his mind and wipe them all out. Sodom and Gomorrah, bring it on. After all, God told him to go there and to preach this message for 40 days. It didn't take 40 days for them to hear God's word and to repent. So I'm sure he's counting down. Hey, there's, there's 30 days left. There's 28 days. Maybe he's going to wipe them out. I don't know. A simple test of character is to ask yourself, what makes you happy? What makes you angry? What makes me want to give up? Jonah was a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James talks about this in his epistle in chapter 1, verse 8. One minute he's preaching God's word, but the next minute he's disobeying God's word and running from his ministry post. Like the older brother, he's not going to the party to celebrate none of his repentance. While in the great fish, he prayed for his life to be spared, but now he asked the Lord to take his life. He called Nineveh to repentance, but wouldn't repent himself. Let's pick up at verse five of of our main text today. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. 
Let's continue. And the Lord God prepared a plant and shade for his head to deliver him from, from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. God's provision of a plant to shade Jonah from the blistering heat is another beautiful picture of the Lord's patience and grace toward the self-consumed angry prophet. God still works on our behalf even when we're in rebellion. That's grace, church. The shelter Jonah made for himself obviously wasn't providing him the relief he needed from the heat. And so God once again demonstrates his love and grace toward the rebellious prophet. He provides a plant to shade him from the, from the heat. Church, man's efforts are never good enough. Even in our rebellion, God miraculously this plant shows up. It must have been massive. It was big enough to shade him from this blistering heat. Jonah was grateful, the text says. Literally, the text reads, Jonah rejoiced over the vine with great rejoicing. When you read it in the Hebrew, verse 6 says, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. This really jumped out at me. For the very first time in the story, Jonah is very, very happy. I mean, he's happy. He's happy about a plant. He's not happy Nineveh had been delivered. He is happy because of his own personal comfort. You see, the plant in the shade, is it produced... Um, was an act of compassion with an object lesson attached to it. Think about this for a moment. The plant and the shade it produced was an act of compassion with an object lesson attached to it. Look at verses seven and eight. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. God's been preparing a lot of things in pursuit of Jonah in this story. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a scorching east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is no longer a happy prophet. His happiness is gone. A scorching east wind orchestrated by God has invaded Jonah's comfortable space, his comfort zone. How many, how many have a comfortable space, a comfort zone God has invaded? Jonah felt like his life was slipping away and so again he decided that God should bring his life to an end. Life was no longer worth living from his perspective. Jonah was brewing with anger that God destroyed the plant. God destroyed the plant. How dare him? God, you destroyed this plant. Jonah needed to learn what we have to learn. We're not here to be comfortable. God never promised this. God does not promote this. 
The Christian life is a life of service, a life of denial, a life of following Jesus as we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? God applies the object lesson. Look at verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it right for me to be angry even to death? Wow. For the second time in chapter 4, God responded to Jonah's pleas for death with a question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah responded to the Lord's question quickly with an air of defiance and arrogance. Is it right for me to be angry even to death? I mean, who does this guy think he is? The Lord responds in verses 10 and 11. You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and, ha- and, and much livestock? God was even showing compassion to the livestock. Church, as I wrap up this message, the plant represents the stuff of this life that makes us comfortable. But considering eternity, the stuff of this life matters very little. Jonah's value system had been turned upside down. He was angry with God for destroying a plant that made him happy, comfortable. By, by providing stuff that made Jonah happy, comfortable. And he was angry with God for not destroying a people that made him unhappy, uncomfortable. Church, lost people matter to God more than stuff. The book of Jonah ends with a question. It ends with a question. Verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons? The question is the same for all of us today. Will I have a heart for the souls of lost people like God? Or will my heart be like Jonah? What heart do you have? God's or Jonah? Let's stand together. Let's sing this song. Take my life. Let it be. Let's make this our prayer.